the incomparable. Number 565, May 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and it's another edition of our book club. We're doing something a little bit different with the uh, award shortlist novel book club that we've done the last, really, most of the run of The Incomparable. We used to do a Hugo nominees episode. Then we expanded and we did a Nebula nominees episode and a Hugo nominees episode. This year, a little bit different. We're going to take the books nominated by the Hugos and the Nebulas, and we're going to read them across three episodes. There's two reasons for this. One, I felt like we had a lot of episodes with a whole bunch of books jammed into one little episode, and it seemed unfair to the books. And two, I get another episode out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta be fair to the books. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, won't somebody speak for the books, please? And the answer is we will on the book club. Uh, Three episodes worth. So here's uh, here's the book club, people. It's pretty much who you think. Uh, Scott McNulty, hello. Uh, I'm just happy people think of me. They do. They think about you and your books. And why don't you remember the the books that you read? That's what they think. I wish I knew. It's because you're on to the next one. You read so much. I I mean, I'm sure there are people who read a lot more than I do. but I'm not. Not on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not on this podcast. Uh, That voice there, Erica Ensign. Hello. Hi, I think of Scott and books. Oh, me too. Me too. Me too. And Aline Sims is also here. Hello. Hi. I read books too. But do you <laughs> think of me? Is the real question. Welcome to uh, Thinking <laughs> of Scott, Scott, a new podcast. <laughs> Tell us, what do we think of when we think of Scott? Uh, no, don't mm. answer that. Um, <laughs> books and babies. Mm-hmm. Books and babies. There you go. Books Double and babies. Bees. That's the name of the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> books and babies with Scott McNulty. I, I remember my babies better than I remember the books. No, that's a good that's, thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably okay. So we're going to talk about three books in this episode, and then again next time we'll talk about three different books. Uh, this time, these are books that are nominated for both the Nebula and the Hugo Awards. There's a little bit of overlap this year. I think there are eight total across the two that are eight unique books. Uh, we'll read them all. We'll talk about them all. Uh, this one we're talking about the city we became by N.K. Jemison, Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse, and Piranesi by Susanna Clark. And as determined by random.org, which Erica had me run <laughs> earlier, because even three books should be randomized. All the books deserve to be I randomized. Agree. Yeah. I'm not going to make anybody rank these at the end, by the way. because I was wondering about that. Are you going not... to make us rank all of them at the end of the third podcast, though? Well, I may, probably. Okay. <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it, but I mean, almost certainly I will. But um, until then, uh, we're just going to talk about uh, books. And Black Sun is first. Rebecca Rowanhorse. This is a, uh, ep- it's kind of an epic fantasy novel, but with its roots in um in Mesoamerican mythology so uh if you think about uh, the, the mythology of the peoples of the Americas instead of sort of european or mythology which is so much of it of what we think of as fantasy is based on european myths and european storytelling um and black sun is not that it is uh I'm going to be honest and say when I, and I'm a big fan of Rebecca Roanhorse. I really liked uh, Trail of Lightning and its sequel. 
And I heard about this and I thought, uh, you know, epic fantasy based on Mesoamerican myth. It's like, I don't know, there's something about it that made me like not that excited about it because like I'm not a super enthusiastic fantasy reader. And I thought like well, myths from Mesoamerica is like, is that is that really going to be interesting? Friends, mm-hmm. friends, if that if that my description turned you off from this book, let me. And perhaps my my compatriots here, let us turn you back on to it because <laughs> yeah, um, this book is bananas in the best way. And uh, here's here's a list of things that I'm gonna see if you might be might intrigue you. Like, uh, do you like mermaid pirate captains? Uh, do you like weird death cults that are trying to overthrow the sun and create a an era of of crows and darkness ruling over the world how about some weird kind of ritual sacrifice uh how about how about like a a monk uh, or a bunch of monks uh let's see what else giant crows that are ridden by people uh you know like i don't know this book has it has has it all (laughs) all of those things anyway and i uh i loved it i love that it's uh there's there's magic and there's like a a deadly prophecy but in a really kind of clever way the book changes uh time frames except they're counting down to a disaster so every chapter is sort of like where you are before the disaster that i will say very clearly is the climax of the book right like it's not a it's not doesn't happen the midway through they're like no no there's going to be this day where there's an eclipse and Everything is pretty much time to go to hell on that moment. Uh, and I don't know. I I thought it was uh, fantastic and uh, really couldn't couldn't read it fast enough. It was I was I was loving it so much. What did everybody else think about Black Sun? I had I had kind of the opposite uh, feeling going into. I didn't know anything going into it, so I, I I wasn't necessarily turned off by a description or anything. But I enjoyed Trail of Lightning. But I feel like my acceptance of apocalypse fiction has dwindled in the last few years, as I think I may have talked about in the book clubs before. So I liked it, but it was post-apocalyptic in a, in a way that just brought me down. Whereas, so I, so I started reading this thinking, okay, Rebecca Roanhurst is a great writer, so whatever is coming is going to at least be well-written. And then I very quickly realized as it got started, oh, this is high fantasy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am a super huge high fantasy lover. Like, that is, that is my happy place. So this was a blending of the the amazing talents of Rebecca Roanhorse and something that I am just passionate about to start with. So it was, with one exception, um, something that I just just dove right into and really, really loved from beginning to almost end. <laughs> we can get to how uh, angry yeah, the uh, end I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, we will get to that. <laughs> Aline, how about you? What would you think about Black Sun? I rated this on Goodreads, mm. and I gave mm. it five stars. I really friends really liked uh, it. who who you dear book club listeners, you may know that sometimes we don't remember a lot about the books that we've read <laughs> previously. And uh, Aline has just said out loud the thing that sometimes we don't say, which is, "I had to look and see what I rated this book. Five stars, mm. though. But it's great." <laughs> yeah, I actually only finished it four days ago. I remember it really clearly. Great. But, ah, Why um, did I not throw this to you immediately? Then? I, I, um, <laughs> and now the person who actually remembers this book. <laughs> I, like Erica, I didn't know. I never, well, not never. I hardly ever know what the books are about going in. I just don't. I just, I like to dive in and see what happens, see where it takes me and not have any expectations except those 
that the cover bestows upon me. And <laughs> I, I, I had high hopes for it because I do love Rebecca Run Horse. Uh, her writing is just, she might actually be surpassing Nora Jemison as my favorite writer. Wow. Like she's just excellent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't, I can't say that for sure, but um, she's, she's great. And I loved this book. I loved it cover to cover. I didn't necessarily agree with everything that happened. Um, you know, like I wouldn't have written that part, but whatever. <laughs> I'm not writing anything right now, so it doesn't matter. Um, it's great. It is so good. And I really love fantasy books that aren't set in like the European look at all the white people things. Um, I really, <laughs> really liked having this. We, we remixed that story that you've heard a thousand times. Yeah. Another time. Oh, and, whoa, whoa. and, and the boy who doesn't know that he's the chosen one grows mm. up to be a man <laughs> who is the chosen one and the hard, hard magic that nobody else can learn. He gets instantly like I'm over that story. I've read, I've read that story so many times. Right. This is not that story. And I really appreciate that. And Rebecca Ronhorst, she's just a lyrical, you know, her her writing is like like reading what she writes is like sinking into a warm bath. It's just beautiful and comforting, even when what's happening in the book is no, definitely not comforting. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like the way she writes is just so comfortable and easy for me, and I loved every second of it. Um, I listened pretty much every book I've read this year. I have listened to the narrator for this book is awesome. She's great. So if you're an audiobook listener, you know that's um, that's another tick in the box of things that make this book good. But I I, I loved it. I really loved it. Scott, what search your feelings about Black Sun? <laughs> uh, I, I so unlike uh, uh, other folks on this podcast, I go into many books with expectations, and this book uh, I had read about the book, and I was excited because it it uh, to my mind promised me a story that I had never seen before because it was set in you know Mesoamerican myth instead of uh, you know uh, European myths, which of as has just been said ad nauseum is uh, a large part of high fantasy. So I had I was like, oh, this is exciting. Uh, I will see, learn new things and experience a story that I have never seen before. Uh, and then I read a very good high fantasy book with a story and components that I have read many times before. <laughs> uh, and I was disappointed because I was expecting some kind of new radically different thing. Now I, I you know that's my own expectations. No one. I don't, I don't hold it against anyone. It's just I was disappointed because it wasn't as different as I thought it would be. I have seen many of the components of this book before. Uh, that's not to say that they weren't put together well because it, it's a well-written book and I enjoyed it. Uh, but it, it didn't deliver the thing that I thought it was going to deliver to me. Um, and, and and I think that uh, Rebecca Roanhorse is a, a good writer. I don't quite think she's as as good as uh, Aline thinks that she is. Um, but uh, I think that she's she's very good. Um, like for example, I read Trail of Lightning, which I enjoyed, but then I did not read 
Storm of Locusts, which is the sequel. Um, so because I didn't, I didn't enjoy it that much that I had to rush out and read the second one. But I liked it. I gave it four stars on Goodreads. So, so there you go. See, again, check, <laughs> check the work. Check I, Scott, I think your reaction and mine are actually similar in a strange way, which is that neither, neither of us, both of us thought we were going to get something um, that was very unconventional. Mm-hmm. And and it, it is a synthesis of, I would say, high fantasy style and elements that are from a different, you know, mining a different source for them, but yet also familiar in a bunch of ways. And that that may be what ha- what made me feel a little bit better about it. Uh, and made you feel worse about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it just felt like it was it was swapping out the curtains in the castle, uh, and and uh, you know, giving a slightly different hue, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you could you could argue, I would say that like thinking about something like the George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones books, that you know, having somebody who can ride on people who ride on crows. And having, you know, like there's, I I was thinking about that a little bit as I was reading it because I'm like, well, this is not that. And yet it is also kind of like that. And I was okay with that. I, I, the the disparate story elements here are, uh, it's not like it's nothing I've ever seen before, but I I would say that it is, uh, it is flavored and mixed and remixed in a way that is uh, different and that made me I think it's done very well but it also feels a little bit different in in the same way that like I wasn't expecting a half mermaid pirate captain and like I really wasn't expecting like pirate stuff in this novel at all and I'm like oh we're gonna kind of do a weird like this pirate captain has to take this mysterious person on this mysterious journey and like I I, I hadn't seen that one coming um, I also really like the apoc- apocalyptic nature of the countdown to doomsday that begins with a mother um, sewing her son's eyes shut and basically killing herself as part of a apocalyptic plan. Like the first chapter, you're like, what is this? What yeah. is going on here? Mm-hmm. And and then and then, you know, you realize that that is the passenger on the ship and that the uh, sh- the city that they're going to and the countdown is to the moment like we're we're following the the nuclear bomb essentially that is going to be dropped on the the city here and on the culture here is like this is this guy he is going to be the bringer of the apocalypse if they if he if he manages if our heroes manage to bring him to his destination and then on the other hand the tool that is going to be used to overthrow the society the the priest the, the of the sun she is also uh somebody that you root for uh, and yet is fighting against like fighting against this prophecy and like she's in this place because of prophecy and it's kind of her failure that leads to the complications at the end of the story it's it's not like a rousing success more like uh you blew it uh i guess it was good that you blew it kind of at the end i don't know it's it's a uh, th- that that was one of the things i liked about it is that it was familiar and yet also different for what it's worth mm-hmm. One yeah, of the things too. that I thought was different that I liked was the fact that a lot of high and epic fantasy revolves. There's like somewhere threaded throughout it is a great romance. And I love romance. And that is a thing that I love about those books. But I found it kind of refreshing that while there was some 
genuine affection between characters and some sort of flirtation and maybe a little bit of doomed love. But there wasn't that sort of, you know, heteronormative, you know, cute guy, cute girl meeting, getting broken apart, re-meeting again, all that kind of thing running through it. And that wasn't even something that I actually recognized until after I'd finished the book and was was sort of comparing it to some of the the, the basics that I had had expected from a high fantasy and i think the the lack of that was was a plus for me in the end she's a half mermaid pirate captain he's the bringer <laughs> of the apocalypse who can talk to crows and whose eyes are sewn shut but he can see through the crows so it's fine uh mm-hmm. what will happen to these two two crazy kids i don't uh it's got to be nothing good though right <laughs> like, yeah i just it, i i love the ticking clock to the end i i should say so we should talk about the ending of this because this is uh, this is the first in a series, and and it ends in kind of a cliffhanger, not quite, but kind of. And I and, and I know Erica has some thoughts about mm-hmm. this. I I figured there the one of the characters is introduced in a flashback that makes it that is set essentially at the end of the novel, and I feel like that is Rowan Horace's attempt to like just put down there like this is not going to end well right like right up front like this is and you don't know exactly what's going on but like that this isn't going to end well but as the novel keeps going and i'm watching the countdown i think to myself i know how this is going to end which is there's going to be this apocalyptic moment and then there are going to be repercussions i cannot see how this isn't going to uh, I, I don't. I, I never thought it would be wrapped up neatly, and that I figured there would probably be more books in this story because I, I just was looking at the clues, and so that was my attitude going into it. Is there's going to be a big explosion at the end, and then it's going to be to to be continued to pick up the pieces. Erica, how did you feel about how this book ended? I, you know, I didn't think it was going to be. Uh, you know, wrapped up neatly. I've, like you know, it even says it's, it's between Earth and Sky Number One. Yeah, so, like, I, I didn't see that part, but I intuited it. <laughs> so, so I I knew that, and I I recognized that that bit at the beginning, which is told to us at the beginning, but is clearly more toward the end. I just didn't think that that was going to be like the end. Um, I I thought that it was going to wrap something up. And, you know, I try to I try to sort of turn off the editor brain as much as possible when I'm reading because I just want to read and enjoy for fun. But when it comes to these book club episodes, when we are thinking about like the Hugos and the Nebulas, there is always that piece of me that's thinking, okay, I need to judge this as a story, but I also I need to judge it as a book, as a thing that exists on its own in order to, you know, rank it against the the other things that are its its competition. So while I really, really enjoyed the story, the place that it ended didn't it didn't wrap anything up enough for my liking. I like when there's when there's going to be a second book, I like it when the 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 bits and pieces and the characters from the first book at least find, you know, a place to regroup. And then they're going to move forward. There was no regrouping at the end of this book. There's there's no grouping at all. It's ungrouped. It is colossally ungrouped, <laughs> I felt, at the end of this. It's very scattered. And yeah. It's and it's it took me by surprise. I just I I wasn't expecting it to be quite that 
just choppy, uh, you know, chopped off of an ending so much so that I got really, really angry at the end, which I think is is actually a sign of how much I enjoyed the book because I wanted the story to keep going and at least give me, you know, a morsel of resolution so that I could I could feel, you know, excited about, you know, what's going to happen in the next book without being worried so much about what's going to happen in the next book. So I actually ended up only giving it four stars, even though I think I may end up changing that to a five. Mm. But that four star was that was done in a moment of anger. <laughs> Because I was just like, I didn't love this book. I liked it, according to the Kobo uh, rating recommendations. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I this is this is the kind of book that I I struggle to recommend to somebody who wants a book that's going to to end. I mean, I always say buy the book right away because you know you never know if the second book's going to come out if you don't buy the first book. But this is one that really. It, it it upset me enough that I'm kind of like, eh, you might want to, you know, buy it and then wait until the second book comes out to read it. Yeah, I I wanted the second one immediately. And I don't even know if there's like a date set for publication for the second one. I don't know. Uh, I, I searched. And doesn't even have a title anything. on Goodreads. Yeah, like, so that has me a little sad. Um Hopefully with the award nomination, it'll, because it's been nominated for a couple different things, so it'll it'll actually get a sequel. <laughs> but um, yeah, I wanted more immediately. I also, I didn't love the doomed romance. Um, I, I think I would have preferred, like, those two characters to be flirtatious and, you know, to carry on with that, but kind of the whole, like, falling in love and... And, um, you know, he's going to bring the apocalypse and now they're in love. And it's just like, eh, this isn't going to end well for anybody. And I wasn't super into it. See, I'm waiting for the second book to find out, like, is there like is, is there some way that that somehow that's mm. going to end less tragically than than we thought? But I have to wait for the second book to find out yeah. if if there's anything remotely possible for that. March 2022 is the date. Oh, oh OK. With the sequel. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed how it ended because I, I was primed for it. I, I really kind of like the fact that basically everything blows up in a way, um, and yet not in the way anybody expects. And so everything is kind of messed up. And like, I loved, I actually kind of love the inevitability of it because there's a moment and what we do in these book clubs is we talk about the books and we try not to like heavily spoiler, uh, spoil things. So I'm not going to, I'll talk around it a little bit, but basically there is a grand plan that is executed. And meanwhile, someone else's grand plan for something completely different is also executed and it messes up the other grand plan. And so you're left with this sort of like, well, something happened, but it it wasn't quite, it didn't quite work. How well did it work? What happens now? Like everything is kind of messed up and in, in this real question about what happens next with these opposing forces of light and darkness. And uh, I kind of enjoyed that. I kind of enjoyed that the book leaves us in this state where it's sort of like, uh, <laughs> what just happened? And then that's the end. I, I, I enjoyed having it be that way because I was I kind of loved the fact that it was like on this collision course where they're like, we're going to overthrow this uh this this priest and that's gonna that's gonna solve all our problems and they're like no no but to end the world we must kill the priest and it's like oh this isn't gonna go well is it this is gonna be bad you guys are gonna mess this up for each other aren't you they do so you know i don't know i i i like that but i i see what you're saying erica it is it is uh you're not buying a whole 
story here. You are you're buying a mm-hmm. a, yep. a, a first part of a longer story. Yeah. Yep. Well, I thought it was great. People should read it. Don't let the uh, yeah. I think actually Scott's advice is also good here, which is don't go into it with the expectation that it's something that you've never seen before. It is a high fantasy story of a shape that will be familiar to you, but with elements that will you know hopefully will seem uh, novel, and you'll you'll have a, a kind of a uh, it'll have a different flavor to it. But don't expect the revolutionary because you won't necessarily get that. Does that sound fair, Scott? Uh yes, I mean I didn't I didn't really think any of the elements were too surprising or novel, but the the construction of the book itself is is good, and um, I think it's a fine example of high fantasy. Yeah. It's just it didn't blow my mind. Okay, we'll move on to book number two, the city we became, by N.K. Jemisin, who won the best novel Hugo Award three years in a row for her Broken Earth Earth trilogy. This is the start of a new. Trilogy, yes, yes, this is also book one of something, just like Black Sun was. Mm-hmm. Um, I read The City We Became a year ago, at least. Uh, and I I have spent some time remembering. <laughs> if, if anybody <laughs> would like to talk about The City We Became instead of me, I can wait or I can do, give people a little summary because I think I remember what it's about now. <laughs> I want to talk about how I started reading The City We Became because I thought I was having some sort of episode. It was was the weirdest feeling I was reading and I was like, this seems so familiar. Like I just, everything, it it was was comfortable. Like I felt like a reread, but I was like, I've never read this book before. It just came out. And um, it took me until I finished like the whole beginning of the book before I was finally like, okay, I have to figure out what is going on. So I went to Google. And sure enough, uh, this book was developed from N.K. Jemisin's short story called The City Born Great. And that was nominated for a Hugo the year that it came out. So I read it for the Hugos, but I had forgotten that completely. Uh, so completely that it was just this very strange experience of of rereading a thing that I did not realize that I was rereading. Um, and I had really loved that short story, The City Born Great. It is... The concept is uh, that New York City has reached a point where it is big enough, uh, energy filled enough, et cetera, et cetera, that it is actually becoming a- alive. And there is a person um, who is a homeless man who is basically the embodiment of the city of New York, and he is helping birth it into the world. And I really loved that story. And then I also really loved it again as I was as I was reading the beginning of this. And it's, it's basically, it seems like that it's just the short story is the first chapter or so mm. of the book. Um, and then it sort of explodes out from there and New York is a city of boroughs so each of the boroughs has another individual who is the um, avatar basically of that borough so you get uh, Manny who is the avatar of Manhattan who was on his way to Manhattan at the beginning of the book and as as he gets there literally forgets everything from the rest of his life mm-hmm. and is suddenly like what is what is happening who am i what's going on uh you find out that brooklyn is represented by a woman uh named brooklyn, brooklyn. nc free yep she's and she was like she was a rapper uh this black middle-aged woman who is now you know a lawyer and you know a very powerful woman in her her society uh and then the bronx is rep- 
represented by a woman named Bronca, who is a queer indigenous woman uh, with a PhD, and she's in the arts community. Yeah, she works works at a museum, basically, the, mm-hmm. for, in the Bronx. And uh, and then you have uh, Padmini, who is the avatar of Queens. She is a uh, Tamil immigrant who is uh, really good at math, and somehow math helps her do some some interesting weird stuff uh, with Queens. And then you have Staten Island, which is the, uh-huh. the sore thumb that sticks out. Uh, and the woman's name is actually Island. Island. Uh, yep. And she's from a very very insular, racist, abusive family. Yeah, her dad is a her dad is a racist cop. Mm-hmm. And and it's yep. just it's a story of how they all sort of discover who and what they are are becoming, and how they come together and sort of work together and try to find the avatar of New York City. Um, well, which we should mention the the other the the twist here is that a interdimensional malevolent force yes very eats, lovecraftian yes it is lovecraft literally it turns out lovecraftian um mm-hmm. eats cities when they are born and that's what's happening is that they keep seeing like tendrils and weird stuff and it is the impending lovecraftian horror that is trying to kill the just born new york entity in its uh cradle basically uh and that's that's the thing that they have to fight which is uh i i think a fun a fun twist it's not just that the that cities become embodied and ensouled by somebody mystically but also that there is a giant lovecraftian monster that is trying to uh trying to smother it <laughs> and they have to fight it that that was a, a twist that i really liked yeah exactly um yeah. Uh, Erica, you like it? I did. I did. I feel like I still think that I liked the short story on its own a little bit better than the whole novel itself. Uh, it was just such a tightly compacted, beautiful little diamond. And I, I enjoyed the rest of the book. Um, I have only briefly been to New York. Uh, so I was I was in Brooklyn for like a half a day once. So I don't have any of the ties to the city in the same way that uh, that clearly N.K. Jemison does. So it was it was, you know, it was very cool to read about a city from the perspective of somebody who has a lot of feelings about it and who knows it well uh, inside and out. It's kind of like I always get annoyed when people talk about movies and TV shows as like the the setting is one of the characters. Like San Francisco is like the most important character in Vertigo. And it's just like, oh, be quiet, film students. Um, but. I can't, it's hard to describe this book in any other way because New York is so it's a city is so integral to everything that happens. Um, so, you know, if you are not on board with feelings about a city, this is super not the book for you. And I I found it interesting because I chose to move to Edmonton, which is certainly no, nothing like New York in terms of, of size, but it is a much bigger city than anywhere I had ever lived before. And I sort of felt echoes in the way that I feel about my chosen city and the things that I love and sometimes hate and recognize about it. So I I really enjoyed the experience of reading the book and learning about New York City sort of from the inside, from a science fictional or science fantasy sort of sort of way. Um, it, it didn't actually make me want to go visit New York, though, which I feel like I'm not sure if that's a failing of the book or not. But uh, but overall, yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. 
Kathleen, what about you? It was fine. Um, <laughs> oh, no, the most damning of praise. Yeah. In fact, when, I didn't know it was part of a trilogy. And when you said it's part of a trilogy, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to read the next one, aren't I? Um, <laughs> it was it was fine. I think um, Erica's point that, like, it's about New York, right? And I don't have any affinity for New York. I Like Erica, I've been there a total of maybe 12 hours, like two day mm-hmm. trips from New Jersey. Um, so <laughs> I think that it is in a lot of ways, it's like a love letter to the parts of New York that aren't romanticized, that are very um, stereotypical when they're represented at all. And I think that that is lovely and beautiful and also very hard for me to connect Mm. to. Um, And so while, while Jemison's writing is amazing and she is able to build um, fantastic characters, I just didn't connect with it the way that I have other books. Also, as I mentioned, um, I listened to this book and I didn't love, there was some like heavy um, production on the the audiobook. So it kind of straddled a line between radio theater and mm. an audiobook. And I found that really jarring. And I know that that had an impact on how I felt about it. Um, although the narrator is awesome. She also narrated um, the Broken Earth trilogy. But... It just, I just didn't connect with it the way that I typically do um, Jemison's works. Yeah, that's true. This is this is the first book in a series. And I will say that while I enjoyed this book, I'm not entirely certain I will read the next one. If it's nominated for another award, I will totally read it. If it's not nominated for another award, I'm not sure if I will get to it or not. Now we go to the living embodiment of Yonkers, <laughs> Scott McNulty. <laughs> Uh, well, I was going to say, so I was born in the Bronx. Uh, I grew up right outside of New York City. I went to high school in Manhattan. I worked for years in Manhattan. Uh, so I'm not going to say I'm the most New York-y of New Yorkers. But if you met any of my relatives, you would think, oh, they're from New York. Uh, I, uh, I'm i the only person in my family that doesn't have an accent. Um, and so I love this book. I thought it was fantastic. It was uh, – yeah. I, I can totally understand if you don't have a connection to New York um, that it wouldn't work as well uh, because that's what it's all about really. Um, and I'm just happy, you know, finally there's some media about New York. Yeah, finally. It took so long. <laughs> People need to know about this little city. Um, and I, as I was reading it, I thought, well – People from Staten Island are not going to enjoy this, but it is accurate. So, <laughs> uh, and 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 that's someone who's you know I spent many decades uh, in in that area, and I've been to Staten Island once. And uh, hopefully, anyone who's listening from Staten Island, I'm sure you're lovely, um, but I have no need to return to Staten Island. Um, so it worked on a lot of, and just like what Erica was like, uh, or uh, it, it highlights things that aren't normally highlighted when you're talking about uh, New York. Um, and, and it felt like it was, sometimes you get a sense that something is set in New York because it needs to be set in a city and, you know, they have the back lot 
sets of New York <laughs> streets. So let's just put it in New York. It's fine. Everyone knows what it is. It's shorthand for urban city. Um, and it is clear, uh, even if you don't know anything about N.K. Jemison, that uh, the person who wrote this is a New Yorker and it just loves the city and and the people that are in it and uh, and is is writing this from you know her own experience and and the experience of the people that she knows uh, uh, and so I just really enjoyed it and I, I highly recommend it unless you hate New York then uh, you probably shouldn't read probably it shouldn't. because it'll anger you <laughs> so I I have been to New York a lot which puts turns out I am the second most knowledgeable person on this panel about New York which is a weird place to be but there it is. Um, and I liked it a lot. I, uh, I didn't like it as much as a handful of other books that are on the short list. I'll say that, but I still liked it a lot. Um, I not being from New York city and not having spent a lot of time there. I, uh, you know, I don't have that resonance with it, but I've been to a lot of places that are described in the book, which is fun. Um, and, I like the idea of a a story that isn't just about Manhattan, but it really is trying to encompass all of the the corners of New York because Queens is very different. My, uh, my in-laws are from Queens. Uh, uh, Brooklyn is very different. I have friends in Brooklyn, like, and and yes, uh, Staten Island, apparently also there. (laughs) It is there. (laughs) And I mean, it is funny that Island from Staten Island is essentially, uh, taken over by the by the monster (laughs) like it is i mean it's not subtle but it is actually kind of funny that the the story Mm -hmm. the story is about what is strong and great about new york city is its diversity and Mm -hmm. this is nk jameson pointing out that you know if you're an enemy of diversity you're an enemy of the city of new york and quite literally in the case of this book but she's such a talented writer too that even though i don't have the attachment to the to the uh, the city that that she does, um, I you know I forget in between books, and then I read another one of these N.K. Jemison books, and this is like the seventh book of hers that I've read, and I'm like, oh yeah, she's really good at this. <laughs> like, <laughs> there that goes a long way. That she is just an incredibly talented writer. Um, but I loved the weird Lovecraftian horror. I really love that dimension of it, that there's an interdimensional monster that is trying to destroy city. It's such a weird idea. And that Sao Paulo and Hong Kong come, mm-hmm. their embodied was... cities come to help, like in the fight. They're like the Avengers of cities. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of my favorite things. There's, I mean, I think for me, the heart of the excitement was just the, the concept of cities becoming alive. And while the Lovecraftian horror part of it, you know, is, is it's an important piece to give them something to fight against. So I didn't care as much about that. But I was just really excited about the idea of the birth of the city and that Sao Paulo being like the youngest on this hemisphere is chosen to sort of be a midwife. So he has to come and try to help out. And I kept finding like every time there was something specific about Sao Paulo, I was like, I want that book. <laughs> like this <laughs> this is great. I like this. This is, but uh, you know, I I don't know if the next book is is going to focus on New York again. I suspect it probably will. Um, but like, I want I want a book that's like this that's written by somebody who's from Sao Paulo who knows Sao Paulo as well because it was it, the little touches that. Uh, 
Like, for example, when Sao Paulo gets beat up, uh, one of the things that is able to help him is some cigarettes that are actually from his city. He breathes it in and it's like breathing in the pollution of his own actual home city. And that is one of the things that like brings him back to consciousness. Just like those those interesting little touches were really cool. I was also curious, like, what would somebody who is from Sao Paulo or Hong Kong actually think about these characters in this book written by a New Yorker. Mm. Um, you know, I, I I would assume maybe she had some some city sensitivity readers uh, <laughs> yeah. come through. But uh, but yeah, I just, I, I, I feel like I want more of this. I just want more of it from other places too. She's really good. I also like the fact that the first trilogy of hers that I read was about gods in a very weird kind of uh, uh, almost sort of Mount Olympus-esque kind of setting. And then the the Broken Earth trilogy, of course, is like a post-apocalyptic, you know, X-Men mental power, lava power people. And then you get this, which is set in the present day, but also has the Lovecraftian horror element. I like that her work is so varied as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a fun thing to have N.K. Jemisin kind of back in the present day, more or less, telling a story after these six other books that I read that are in a very different cu- couple of settings. All right, let's move on to Piranesi. Now, those of you who have read uh, a very good book, I thought, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, uh, which was a long time ago that that came out. And it's also one of the very longest novels you will ever read. It's a thousand plus page <gasps> novel. Wow. Wow. Um, it's really good. It's got lots of footnotes that yes. are footnotes, uh, yeah. Yeah, funny. See, is, that, that's why I didn't read it. I heard it was long and yeah. it had footnotes. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. I read that in, in paper before I switched to Kindle and I'm glad I did because you couldn't, it was heavy, but also the footnotes were not as aggressive as they are in an e-reader. Um, mm-hmm. cause they're just on the page there, but that was a brilliant book though. I love that book a lot. Anyway, Piranesi, it's a third of the length. <laughs> So no, no footnotes. No footnotes. It's a much shorter book. It is a very peculiar book. This is the book that I've read the most recently. It is about a character who lives in what seems to be an endless building full of rooms that are full of statues and columns and stuff. It's like classical architecture and classical sculpture. And there water. And yes, and it's at the edge of a sea sea, and the sea gets in and the tides come in. They flood various rooms and there are various levels and there's there's birds and stuff that are also in the various rooms that fly in from time to time. An albatross appears at one point. And so it's a very strange world. It is dreamlike. It feels very allegorical. And you're wondering, you know, is this like, uh, oh, who is it uh, who wrote the books that it's all the people on the island in the Mediterranean that the gods have brought? Uh, Joe Walton. Joe Walton. Yeah, right. I I had a moment where I'm like, is this like Joe Walton where this is going to be like, (laughs) oh, it's it's more of a thought exercise about classical Greek thought. And I'm like, okay, it's not though. It's not. Uh, he, and we go with this character who thinks that they're one of the only two people alive in the world. They, this character obviously believes that they are the they are one of the only people, and this world is the world, which makes you think that it's dreamlike and and maybe metaphorical. And except then the the person kind of starts to describe like that there are, there are skeletons, there are dead bodies in various places that they've counted. So they've con- they're convinced now that they're the they're the fourteenth one of 14 people who's ever lived in this in this world but there's one person the other 
who is alive and who talks to them. And over time, you learn a lot more about who that person is and the fact that they seem to be coming and going from this place and they seem to have a knowledge of our world and what does that mean and who are they and what's their relationship to our narrator, who this the other calls Piranesi. And uh, Piranesi is trying to figure it out and we have more information than the, than the narrator does. So the narrator is often frustrated with things that we're like, come on, that, <laughs> don't you know, but they don't know. And over time you end up learning a lot about what this place actually is and how it connects to our world because it does. And um, it is. So I love this. I think it's beautiful. I think it's uh, the writing is is beautiful. I think the, the imagery is wonderful. I think it's gentle and strange, and the twists when they come, even though you sort of see them coming, are still I think kind of breathtaking in the in the moves that uh, that Susanna Clark makes, uh, and all the way to the end, which is bittersweet, I would say, and kind of heartbreaking but also kind of beautiful like i don't know this book hit me dead center of like this is i love i really loved this book i love how weird and sad and beautiful it is all mixed together so i i, I love we're talking about star ratings this is a five star for me like the easiest five star review of a book in a long time i just it's so weird but i i really loved it what did everybody else think you can break my heart now go ahead fine well, I, I uh, will not break your heart because I also unabashedly loved it. And this is a book that I bought, I pre-ordered because I, uh, as I read books, I uh, I don't, I generally don't, I'm not sentimental about books. Uh, and so if I have a, a, a physical copy of a book that I read, I finish it and then I get rid of the book because I have read it and it no longer is of value yes. to me. Um, so uh, all the physical books that I have, the vast majority of them, which are a lot, are books that I have not read yet, uh, with the exception of a few books that I really love deeply. And one of those books that I have a copy of on my shelf is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to read this book because I knew that it was very different than that book. And the book that I did want to read I assumed that she would just, well, like, you know, 18 years ago or whenever it came out, I assumed that she would be writing another book in that world. Uh, her life has, she had other plans apparently, how dare she? Uh, <laughs> and so she wrote this book. Um, and so I did want to read, I, I bought it because I really liked her first book, uh, but I didn't want to read it because I really liked her first book. Uh, and I didn't want to be disappointed in her second book. Uh, and then it was nominated for this award. And uh, so I had to read it for this podcast. And so I read it incredibly quickly, because it is very short. Uh, and was so sad that I hadn't read it when it first came out, because I loved it so much. Uh, and it, it just, it was, it is, I, I'm, I don't want to echo everything that Jason said, but I agree with everything. I think that the, 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 she, uh, her descriptions of the house and uh, you know all these statues and the, the 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 current of the water that goes through it and how that kind of reflects in the way that she's telling the story and then how the narrator is trying to figure things out and how 
there's much a of moment a jerk the other is and he yeah, yeah. turns out to be a jerk even a worse jerk than you think he is there's a moment where i was wondering like is this long after human society has died and mm-hmm. it's a collection mm-hmm. this is this this house is literally just a collection of all the statues they found the greek statues they found or something cuz mm-hmm. like it, it is just this it's kind of this is not a haunted house story but there is an element of that right which is like haunted classical architecture house is what this is <laughs> yeah and, you, and it could be i feel like the house could be a super creepy place and it is for anyone other than uh Paranisi, right who's there who loves this house right. because he thinks it is the world, right? Uh-huh. This is the only thing that exists. And it is his job to, he has a bunch of jobs that he has to do. He has to go, you know, uh, leave offerings for the bones that he's found in other places and, you know, fish and do all kinds of things. Um, he's got his journal about, like, I saw a bird. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the year and, that I saw a bird. <laughs> and then, it, you know, you start reading it and it's weird because there's this guy who's in this weird place and you think, I don't really understand what's happening. How can get this get any weirder? And then the other shows up and he's like wearing dungarees and giving <laughs> giving him you know occasionally like a flashlight or something like what the heck is going on in this book uh and and i thought i i don't understand how i cannot conceive of how she is going to tell a satisfying story with this few pages and this right. odd of a setup and she does it so well uh that i am i am i'm flabbergasted so I, I really like this book. There's a moment where the other says something like, you know, there's another person who you may see. And and and, and Piranesi's like, what? what? <laughs> it's like, well, exactly. it's like, oh, just like there is, there is another person and you may see them. And then, the, and then it's like, and if you see them, don't let, don't be spotted by them. They're bad. They're here to do bad things. And Piranesi's like, mm, okay. But, and then, and then like it, it escalates to the point where it's like, um, there's a gun. <laughs> it's like you must. Mm-hmm. You, they they will destroy you. You must destroy them first. And it's like what is? It just keeps escalating in in ways that I did not expect. And poor Piranesi is kind of a babe in the woods for a long time and doesn't really understand mm-hmm. these concepts and has to kind of either figure it out or ha- or be told. Um, also, in a book like this, I, I I think I will surprise many people who have not read it and saying. There's almost a Columbo-like figure who appears, yes. <laughs> a a detective, a police detective who has diligently been following a case and ends up following it into the world, um, <laughs> it, it, which when you get to that point, it's just like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm with you. We're on the same level, Scott. It's just mm-hmm. like in, in such a relatively compact, I think it's uh, in the hardcover, it's 244 pages, like a lot happens and uh I was not disappointed. <laughs> so and and I wasn't expecting any of it from the first no. the start to the end. No. I was surprised by everything that happened. <laughs> All right, Aline and Erica, we haven't heard from you. Piranesi, what do you think? Uh okay, well, I'm just going to echo a lot of the things that you guys said. <laughs> this is this is going to be repeats. I also really loved this book. I I felt like it was one of the most beautiful books that I have ever read it. I I think of it and I get the most sort of like I get visuals and that's not a thing that I usually get from books. It uh, like I I just, and I get this, this feeling I feel, I think kind of like Scott said that the, 
it, like it it feels to me like the ocean the the tides you know sweeping in and out with you know regularity but not entirely regularity like there's there's some differences and just the the beauty of this world and i think the real genius of this book is in the narrator whose name is not actually even Piranesi. No. That is, no. we, you know, we find that out pretty early. The the other calls him that, but he doesn't even know what his actual name is, uh, which is the thing that we don't even find out for, for a while. I think the journey of discovery of this book was such a delight because the narrator is, as Jason said, a, a babe in the woods. The, these are the most, it's told in, entirely in journal entries and they are the most earnest journal entries they are just so so sweet and and honest and just descriptive of the most basic things and written clearly with love for you know he is he's a child of the house and he is is thinks that he has everything that he could ever possibly need here in in what he thinks is the world and I will say that there are definitely like some of the reveals were things that I was you know waiting for them to happen, as Jason said. Uh, but it, I still found them to be lovely when they happened because I felt like I was finally discovering them along with this narrator character. You know, I was I was twigging to what was going on way earlier than he was. And I was very excited sort of when he caught up to me, which is which is a nice thing. Sometimes it's fun, fun to have the, the reveals be like, oh, my gosh, like we're, we're discovering something at the same time as the, the person on the page. But in this case, it was there was enough there were enough things dribbled out that I was I was recognizing, you know, at, at the beginning, I was like, is this actually like uh, you know, there there are some quotes from the magician's nephew, the C.S. Lewis Narnia right. book, and I was like, "Is this actually taking place like in the world of Narnia? Is it sort of like a a, a telephone from that? Is this another world that they they could have gotten to through the the magic rings in that in that book?" And I I love portal fantasies. I love portal fantasies so much. So it's it feels like this book was kind of written for me in a way because it is it is a portal fantasy, but not like. It's not like somebody was able to, uh, you know, escape to a magic world through their backyard and have adventures. It's somebody who lives in the portal world and thinks <laughs> that that's the only world and only slowly recognizes that there's our world. It's it's almost a reverse portal fantasy because, you know, for this character, our world is the portal that that is that is there and that the other keeps going back and forth through. And uh, I just I just. I wish I could describe the way I feel in my chest every time I think about this book. It's, it's really, it, I don't know. It's just, it's something. It's poetic. It's like, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful book. If you talk about imagery, the one that I kept uh, coming back to is uh, think about water uh, washing over marble. <laughs> like, yep, it's mm-hmm. just marble everywhere. <laughs> statues, floors, strange marble statues, and mm-hmm. then water. <laughs> And the sound, the sound of the ocean crashing against against rock, like that's, yep. yeah, that's his book. Aline, what do you think? I don't want to say. Um. <laughs> uh, oh, this is uh, your black son, I think. Yeah. Your Scott's black son. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I didn't like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Neural. I did not finish it. I didn't get very far in it. Maybe a third of the way in. Which is a lot. Several hundred pages. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Longer, than, longer this than this book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I was not looking forward to Piranesi. I didn't hate it. Yay. We got out of the way. So that already exceeding my expectations. Um, I loved it when I started it. Uh, I was intrigued by the mystery, by the world building, by the figuring out what's going on. Um, Enchanted by the description of this mini roomed I don't palace world, <laughs> whatever's happening. Uh, also had the thoughts of like this is post apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Um, all the libraries have been lost and only statues remain. Like um, once once we started getting the trail of what was actually happening, though. I started losing interest and I then thought it was boring by the end. (laughs) Um, I, I don't know. I have really mixed emotions about it. I rated it four stars on Goodreads. Um, And I do think that it is worth reading. And as others have said, it's not, you know, if, if you're a, a reader like we are, it's not a, a, a lot to read. Um, so if it sounds interesting, you definitely, you know, go for it. And I feel kind of weird being the hesitant person here. Um, I was tempted to be like, I hated it, but I did not hate it. There was, (laughs) there's a lot to love about it. It's just, it kind of lost its allure to me the more we learned about what was going on. Because it was basically like, people are being crappy. This, this guy, the other is being crappy to our perspective character Mm -hmm. for no like real reason so so that part wasn't even really that interesting you know it wasn't like um like this fascinating story about why he was here it's just like oh the other is a jerk um essentially is what it boils Mm -hmm. down to and okay Lots of people are jerks. I don't know. Um, so, so that's that's all. I thought there was there was a lot to love about it. And if it had just been him exploring and like maybe running into somebody and having a best friend at the end of the book, I think I would have loved it. But Piranesi is so in- innocent that the other yeah. being mean to him is so it's so mean and so jerky. But uh, that leads to the moment where where the others like somebody else is going to come. Yeah, there is somebody else, and uh, they're bad. Uh, and Pyrenees is like, uh, okay. And then sees the other person and is like, I don't think they're bad. Why would they be bad? And it's just a beautiful <laughs> moment where this innocent person is told, is basically trying to be used as a weapon against another person in an, a struggle that this innocent person knows nothing about. And their sheer goodness and openness makes them realize that they, that that's not right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment. I, I love that moment that it's like, oh no, the other, uh, is a liar. <laughs> this, yeah. this seems, I'm going to talk to this person. This person's probably fine. Uh, One of the details I really loved was the numbering system for the journals. Mm-hmm. When he was, he, so he, he forgets um, yeah. as he's in this place. And so he's going through his old journals and he was like, what is this weird numbering system? Mm. 2012. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, and I think there's even something about it being like a thousand years in the past or something like that. So I don't know what year he thinks it's supposed to be. Um, but so then he talks about how he came to uh, the, the, 
his system for delineating years and it was like oh you're just you're just cute <laughs> i can you know i can totally see how this book especially toward the end more would maybe not work for you because I, I do feel like i actually kind of had a moment where i could have gone either way it was like I, I reached a point where i had sort of like figured out like this is pr- pretty much what's going on and if i hadn't sort of like fallen into the the rhythms of it of the 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 sentences and like i just i feel like this book lulled me into just like this comfortable read like i i just i I don't want to call it propulsive because that makes it sound like i just was on the edge of my seat and i wasn't it was more like i was just being carried along and i you know i sort of reached that moment I, i definitely i would say i enjoyed the beginning of the book more than the end, simply because I was really into the the mystery of things yeah, and, and figuring it out. And I, the swept upness that I felt at the beginning is the thing that sort of carried me on through the end of it because I really bought into the the beauty of it and the, the lyricalness. But if I hadn't, if I had just sort of like tilted a tiny bit in the other direction, I feel like I probably would have been on the same page as you are, Aline. So it's, it's one of those things where it may not be entirely for you, but I still I agree that it's worth reading, even if it doesn't sound like it's going to 100 percent work. The person who didn't like it gave it four stars. Everybody should read. Exactly. It. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's definitely worth reading it's, for sure. Yeah, and 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 as for Erica and Scott and I, I I I feel so good that all of you seem to have, uh, other than Aline, for reasons that have been explained, the same re- response I had, which is just I loved this book. It was just delightful the whole way through, and it it is beautiful, and uh, it's weird, and like I love that as a reader that experience of being like, what is it? huh? Oh, oh, right. Like it's just, it's a ride where you're like, you're confused. And then it's like, there's beautiful writing, but what does it mean? And then you find out what it means. And like, it it was a, it was a really great experience as a reader to go through the pages of Piranesi for me. Aline, I'm curious, did you uh, listen to this one as well? Because I'm just noticing on the Wikipedia site that it was uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor who read, who read that audio book. And I'm like, maybe I need to listen to that now too. Um, yeah, I did. It was he wasn't my favorite narrator ever, but it it wasn't bad by any stretch. All right. Uh, it's not exactly a ringing endorsement, I guess. Let, let <laughs> us um we're gonna move on to what are we reading? Uh where I ask my panelists for other books that they've read lately that they'd like to recommend, because that's a book club feature that we do sometimes, and I thought maybe we would do it now because it's been a little while. Scott, do you have anything you'd like to recommend that people check out? Uh, yes, I've read uh, fairly recently uh, a book called The Liar's Dictionary, which is about uh, a, a, a woman who is interning at this company that is trying to make this uh, dictionary that this family has been trying to put out for, you know, 100 years. And she her job is to go through the dictionary and uh, make sure that the, the definitions are accurate. Uh, and she finds a series of made-up words that have been placed into the dictionary um, by a character uh, in who was employed at the same company at the height of its power in Victorian uh, time period, uh, who was just kind of bored and not very good at his job. And uh, then it kind of shifts back and forth between, between the time periods, um, and they have kind of this 
interesting relationship uh, through the dictionary um, and and kind of it's as an organization and as a thing. Um, and um, it's a lot of fun. Erica? I Most of my book reading has just been uh, for mm-hmm. awards. So, you know, you'll hear about them more in future podcasts, I guess. Hashtag yep. teaser. Um, but I would like to call attention to a story that I read for the Uncanny Magazine podcast. Uh, it's by Fran Wild, who we uh, we talked about her book Updraft yeah. uh, on this podcast uh, a while back. Um, but she has a story in the newest issue of Uncanny Magazine called Unseelie Brothers Limited, which is Super, super up my alley. Uh, it is about fairies and fashion, and uh, there's a grand ball coming up, and these these two girls need dresses for for the balls. Well, one of them needs a dress for the ball. The other one is is poorer, and she doesn't actually get to go to the ball, but she might get to watch the ball. And there is a uh, a shop on Sealy Brothers Limited, which sometimes will appear. Uh, somewhere in the city before before a grand ball happens. And if you can find it, and if you can get in the doors, then you might have an amazing magical gown that might might uh, put you above the rest of the crowd, so to speak. So it's sort of a... A, a race to get to this uh, get to this store and then to get in and it's it, it definitely revisits a lot of these sort of like fairy fairy world seely tropes that I like so much um, but in a way that I hadn't seen before I really love the fashion aspect of it too because I just I like I like watching pretty dress TV and uh, and I it's it's a short story, so it's not going to take you a super long time to read. If you want to listen to it, it's on the podcast. Um, so highly recommend Unseelie Brothers Limited. All right. Aline, any recommendations? Uh, I have been obviously doing the awards reading, but I did take a break to follow some recommendations from fellow book club members. Um, so I read um, Ellie Griffith's Stevens and Mephisto Mysteries. Um, there are five of those currently. I would like for there to be more of them. Scott recommended those. Um, they take place in the 50s in England, and it's a murder mystery series where one of the main characters is a police detective and one is a magician. Um, they're they're really good. Um, I read the 12th book in the Ruth Galloway series, also by Ellie Griffiths, also recommended by Scott. And um, I've been reading Lindsay Broker, Broker's books, uh, the Dragonblood series, um, which is a lot longer than I thought it was when I started. <laughs> um, but it's not, I mean, it's not great but it's good and it's a good way to pass the time so um there's um there's there are pirates there's a war there are dragons there's dragon's blood and yeah it's it's a jaunt um and yeah then reading reading for the for podcast for, for forthcoming current and forthcoming mm-hmm. podcast well scott tried to not recommend as many books and he just second-handed leave recommended uh-huh. yep. more books a lot it's true 17 the of those, them those ellie griffith books though is yeah once you read one you want to read them all and uh there are 17 of them uh, <laughs> across the two series so it's troublesome yeah in a good way though 
I have uh, two that I'll recommend really quickly. One of them is Max Gladstone's Empress of Forever, which is a uh, a pretty wild book. Uh, the way I described it is, and uh, Scott reviewed this on Goodreads, I see, mm-hmm. and rated it highly. He gave it four stars, which is what I gave it to. Um, I it's it's space opera. It is the widest of widescreen. It is packed with ideas. I think the last time I read a book. Uh, as packed with ideas was like the three body problem series Mm. in that. And it's not super similar to that, but um, Empress of Forever, I guess I would just say that every couple of chapters I felt like could have been an entire novel. And instead he just keeps going. And that by the time I got to the end, I really thought that I had, it felt like I had read like a, an eight novel series because (laughs) the there it's episodic in a way like the Becky Chambers novels are often episodic, except um, much more intense than that. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's about a a person from our time who is sucked through a portal into a far future time where there is an near omnipotent empress who is trying to take over the, the universe and uh, almost nobody can stop her except for this one kind of legendary monster who, uh, is broken out of prison on a star by our character, our our character from now, and uh, together with a a monk, they go on the run. And uh, there is a series of revelations that occurs that is quite amazing. And uh, I just love the inventiveness of it. It is uh, when I say that it's like ten novels, I don't mean that it's a slog. I mean that if you wait a couple of chapters, if you don't like the novel where they're all like tending a farm on a planet <laughs> just wait because you'll you'll find out that that's not a planet and <laughs> wow. and then there's another part that happens after that so it just <laughs> it just keeps going and you and just keeps twisting and morphing into other stories to lead to the final kind of epic showdown with the empress and uh it's just so inventive i i, I thought it was great um and uh a desolation called peace also came out, which is the sequel to uh, my favorite book of last year, which was uh, a memory called Empire. And I imagine we'll talk about it next year when it's nominated for awards. <laughs> um, but I'll just say I didn't like it as much as a memory called Empire, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> and I that uh, that was a high bar. That the, yeah, th- those books uh, really work for me, and uh, and this one is a little bit different. It is more science fiction-y in ways that because it's got like a spaceship and aliens and first contact scenarios and things, it is like, um, you know, how, uh, uh, oh, the Anne Leckie books, uh, her series with the Imperial Raj, her second book is a surprising kind of like more, I, what my joke is that it's like an episode of Deep Space Nine. It's like... What? I didn't expect that. This is kind of like that too, where it's it's almost Star Trekky in a little bit of a way. It certainly feels familiar as a more familiar as a space opera than the one that was set on the the Galactic Empire uh homeworld capital city kind of thing. This one is in it's there, but it's also on this spaceship in a first contact scenario, and our characters from the first book are in that scenario with a bunch of new characters. And uh but in that setting that is so rich, it is a really fun, interesting story. I would say, to get back to what Scott said about Black Sun, 
it's not a story I haven't seen before. But the way it's done, and of course underlying it all, is this idea that there is this giant empire that's sort of hegemonic in the galaxy, and it dominates this little mining colony that our main character is from. And uh, it, it goes to some interesting places. I liked it a lot. Uh, I definitely recommend it. And if you haven't gotten around to reading it as the sequel to A Memory Called Empire, uh, do so. It's good. I really enjoyed it. I hope there's more to come. I might just wait until it's nominated next year because just, otherwise I will have forgotten If you want to yeah. ha- help me out because I'm not going to remember anything about it when we talk about <laughs> it in a year, uh, you can just you wait. You got it, Jason. Because I, I would guess that it would be nominated since the it's the second book in a series that the first book won the Hugo for Best Novel. Probably going to get nominated. And that's it. So Ooh, We did it. We did it. Book club. We did three books. Uh, Awards done. No, 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 Scott. <laughs> what? So uh, your next assignment, and this goes out to the listeners too, is Mexican Gothic, The Midnight Bargain, and Network Effect. And we will discuss those three books next. And then later on, we'll do the two remaining books and uh, some extra like Hugo nominees in other categories, maybe some short stories and stuff like that too. But next up, Mexican Gothic, The Midnight Bar- Bargain, and Network Effect in a month or so. So get to reading, dear reader, yes, dear sir. listener, That's right. and Back dear panelist. The good thing is those three books are so similar. that Yeah. Right, they're basically they just run right together. I have no together. idea. I have no idea if you're joking or not because I have only. They are not books. remotely similar. No, okay. they are. They are totally dissimilar yeah. to one another. Uh, right. And uh, so we will do that. We'll be back here then to talk about those. But we're done for this episode of the Incomparables Book Club. Let me thank my panelists and fellow readers for joining me, Aline Sims. Thank you for giving the book that we love four stars. I appreciate yeah. it. I'm sorry I couldn't give it five. It's all good. Just I, that's how good that book is. That even the dissenter gave it, it four stars. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Ensign, thank you. I I just can't wait to get back to some reading. Yeah. Hugo nominee again, by the way, but that's old news now. I mean, just it's every year. <laughs> again. We, we, we just expect it. Yeah. It's whatever. Oh, dear. And Scott McNulty, thank you. Thank you, Jason. And thank- I give you Ooh. four stars. <gasps> <laughs> now, this is the part where if, if you're a true Goodreads reviewer, you say, well, it's really more three I would and give a half. you four and a half, but... <laughs> <laughs> but they don't let you do half ratings on Goodreads. No. Yeah, Mm-mm. they don't. Just... Deal with it, reviewers on Goodreads. <laughs> Thank you for your review. That means that I'm like, uh, you feel about me like Aline fe- feels about Paranese, which is <laughs> reluctantly <laughs> accepting that it's fine. <laughs> Accurate. I, I fought it, but I have to admit it's okay. And thanks to everybody. That could be an iTunes review for the incomparable. Mm. Mm. Jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks everybody out there for listening to this episode of the Incomparable Book Club will return but until then we'll see you next week with something completely different